Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. This episode of Pardes from Jerusalem features Rabbi Michael Emerson on Parashat Shmini. Have you thought about learning with us this summer or even learning with us in the year ahead? Pardes is open for global learning online, but also with in-person classes for the upcoming year. Please visit www.pardes.org.il for more information. And now, here is Rabbi Michael Emerson. When I first saw the musical Hamilton, I remember being struck at a particular moment in the play where Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton's son, Philip, has just died, and the song comes on, uh, the song's called It's Quiet Uptown, or Quiet Uptown. And the words of the song, it's Hamilton and his sister-in-law, Angelica, um, and they're singing, and, and the words are, there are moments that the words don't reach, there is suffering too terrible to name, you hold your child as tight as you can and push away the unimaginable. The moments when you're in so deep, it feels easier to just swim down. The Hamiltons move uptown and learn to live with the unimaginable. And then Hamilton sings, I spend hours in the garden, I walk alone to the store, and it's quiet uptown. I never liked the quiet before. I take the children to church on Sunday, a sign of the cross at the door, and I pray that never used to happen before. And I remember hearing this song and thinking about it, and the first time I saw the play, leaving in tears in this moment, Um, This man who had been for so long defined by his words, by his speeches, by his letters, his books, everything, was suddenly quiet and alone with nothing that could console him as he, as the song says, as he learned to live with the unimaginable. In Parshat Shmini, which we read this week, we have a moment where the sons of Aaron, two of the sons of Aaron, Nadav and Avihu, do something wrong during the consecration of the Mishkan on the eighth day, something that is deserving of punishment. And while we're not going to delve into right now what exactly they did and the debates around it, we're going to set that aside. Right now, my focus is on Aaron's reaction. And we have in Pasuk in Vayikra, uh, Perak Yud, Pasuk Gimel, Vayomer Moshe el Aaron, who asher diber Adonai lemor bekrovai ekadesh v'al pene kol am ekabed vayidom Aaron. Moshe said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke of when he said, Among those who are near to me, I will show myself holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. And Aaron remained silent. And it's this reaction, this vayidom Aaron, that really is this very mysterious reaction. Aaron was suddenly silent. Aaron, who from day one, the first time we had been introduced to him, was defined by his speaking on behalf of Moshe and being Moshe's mouthpiece, Moshe's voice. That's exactly how we were introduced to him at the beginning of Shemot. If we look back in Shemot, Perak Dalid, Pasuk Yud Dalid, Vayichar af Adonai b'Moshe, Vayomar halo Aaron achicha halevi, yadati ki Hashem was angry at Moshe for resisting the mission that Hashem had given him. And God responds to Moshe, your brother Aaron is here, Aaron the Levite. He, I know, speaks readily and even now he's setting out to meet you and he'll be happy to see you. 
ודי פרטי לה ושמת את הדברים בפיו, ואנוכי אהיה עם פיך ועם פיהו, והריתי אתכם את אשר תעשון. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with you and with him as you speak and tell both of you what to do. ודיבר הוא לך אל העם, והיה הוא יהיה לך לפה, ואתה תהיה לו לאלוהים. And he shall speak for you to the people, thus he shall serve as your spokesman with you playing the role of God to him. The way we met Aaron was Aaron was a man of words, a man of speeches, a man of speaking. And this same Aaron is suddenly silent. This is significant. What do we make of this silence? What does it actually mean? How do we understand this response? And it's even more striking when we think about other biblical leaders who showed some willingness to protest and argue with God On occasion in the face of tragedy and I think of Avram and Yaakov in particular and Moshe Avram if we go back to uh, Breshit Yudchet when God and, and Avram are arguing over the decision of God to destroy Sodom and Avram finally says to God Khalila lecha me'asot kadavar hazel hamit tzadikim rasha vayak tzadik rasha Far be it from you to do such a thing, to bring death upon the innocent as well as the guilty, so that innocent and guilty fare alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? Avram was angry. Avram felt passionate and argued with God saying, why would you do this? Why would the judge of all the earth not deal justly? This isn't fair. Or like Yaakov, when he was told that Yosef had been killed in Breshit, Lamed Zayin, Pasuk Lamed Hei, Vayakumu kol bana v'chol benotav l'nachamo, Vayimaim l'hitnachem, Vayomer ki ereid el b'ni avel sh'ola, Vayevk oto aviv. All his sons and daughters sought to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted, saying, No, I will go down mourning to my son in Sha'ol. Thus his father bewailed him. Yaakov, when learning, learning about the loss of his son, immediately says, nothing can comfort me. I'm not going to be quiet. I'm not going to be comforted. I will go down mourning and this is what I'm going to do. And even Moshe himself was willing to occasionally argue with God. For example, when God wanted to destroy the people recently after the golden calf, after the Chet Egel in Shmot Lamed Bet. פסוק י"א, ויכל משה את פני אדוני אלוהיו, ויאמר למה אדוני יחרה אפך בעמך אשר הוצאת מארץ מצרים בכוח גדול ויד חזקה. But Moses implored the Lord as God saying, Let not your anger, O Lord, blaze forth against your people whom you delivered from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. We have examples over and over of leaders who see it as part of their mission and their job. to argue with God on occasion when they feel that things are not being handled justly. And our own sons, who were two of the holiest people in, the, in B'nai Yisrael at the time, who were the Kohanim, who were ready to celebrate the, the building of the Mishkan and ready to do the Avodah there, you would expect that Aaron would say, this isn't fair. This isn't fair that at this moment, my two sons are being taken from me. Maybe they did something wrong, maybe not, but it's not fair. 
And instead we have Vayidom Aaron, Aaron was silent. So what does this actually mean? If we look at the Mefarshim, there are a range of explanations given. The first, we have Unculus and Rashi following in Unculus' lead, that Aaron was actually silent. And this was a silence that was a sign of great faith and trust in God. Not a mourning silence, but a submissive acceptance. And according to the Midrash that Rashi cites, he actually received a reward from God for this, in that God spoke to Aaron directly in the following psukim. So according to Unclus and then Rashi, this silence was a sign of acceptance, a sign of submission to God and God's will. And there was no protest, there was no disagreement. It was simply, this is what God has deemed appropriate, and I will be faithfully silent. Nechama Leibovitch cites Rabbi Eliezer Lippmann Lichtenstein, who lived in the late 1800s, who takes this even further and suggests that there's a difference between vayishtok, which means abstaining from speaking, weeping, groaning, or any other outward manifestation, while vayidom connotes inner peace and calmness of spirit. Not only was he submissively silent and accepting, his heart was even at peace, according to Rabbi Lichtenstein. It was, his spirit was calm even internally. There was absolutely no questioning of God's ways, total and complete acceptance. When we look at Rashbam, Rashbam, Rashi's grandson, takes some issue with Rashi's approach. And he actually looks at the example from elsewhere in Tanakh, from Yechezkel, um, in, in Yechezkel Chafdalid, where God tells Yechezkel, Don't cry out in mourning. Rashbam suggests that Aaron's instinct was to burst out into a cry of mourning, but he conquered that instinct and held it back. So the feelings are there internally, but just as God tells Yechezkel, don't cry out in mourning or cry out softly, so to hear, Vayidom Aaron, Aaron kind of had that instinct to cry out in mourning, but he held it back. They were there, the feelings were there, but he held it back for the sake of God and for the collective community. If we look at Abravanel, Abravanel suggests something slightly different. Abravanel says, Aaron's heart turned to lifeless stone. He did not weep and mourn like a bereaved father, nor did he accept Moshe's attempts to console him for his soul had left him and he was speechless. For Abravanel, this was a moment of total and utter shock. This wasn't piety. This was a human response. He was speechless. There are no words. It's totally quiet because what else can you say? There's nothing that you can say. Ramban offers two different explanations. One, that he became silent, but it's not a silence of acceptance. It's a struggle to stay, to stay silent. Um, the second explanation is that he seized his mourning in an act of submission and he is calmed. 
but Ramban slightly differently than Rashi believes in both these explanations that Aaron started by letting out tears and a cry, but he silenced them, either struggling to silence it or by actually calmly accepting it and seizing his mourning. But in either event, in either case, he, he said he cried out initially and then pulled it back in. And finally, um, I saw another opinion uh, Rav Shai held in his book, The Heart of Torah, cites biblical scholar Baruch Levine, who gives a, 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 another explanation that possibly the root Dalid Mem Mem, Vaidom, might actually have two separate meanings. One meaning is truly to be still or silent, while the other less common uh, interpretation of that root is actually to mourn or to moan. Which, if that's the case, Aaron actually acted in the totally understandable and normal manner that we would expect of true mourning. Vayidom Aaron, he mourned. And Moshe is actually forbidding him from initiating formal avelut and saying, no, the people will mourn on your behalf. So we see this wide range, the spectrum from total silence, submission to God and God's will, to possible, possibly a reinterpretation of Aidom Aaron that actually Aaron engaged in full and complete mourning. This debate actually influences how we understand Moshe's response to, uh, to Aaron when he tries to console him. When Moshe says to him, um, uh, among those who are near to me, I will show myself holy. Um, according, and according to Rashi, he was kind of saying, now I see that they, not of an avi, were greater than you and me. They were even holier than you and me. They were so close to God that they had to be punished in this way. So if we see Aaron as, you know, uh, as kind of fully submissive, submitting to God's will and, and accepting this, then maybe this is from Moshe. This seems to be like a genuine attempt to console him. And it's sensitive and, and it's fully accepted by Aaron. But if we see Aaron in this struggle of trying to hold back his mourning or even engaging in full mourning, then in some ways this seems like a little bit more of a misguided attempt to console by Moshe. Slightly insensitive, not totally accepted by, not actually accepted by Aaron, because um, Aaron is still feeling the real, you know, passionate emotions of the moment, um, feeling upset about what happened to his, to his children. There's an additional moment worth looking at that Rabbi Jonathan Sachs actually um, focuses on specifically, which is, uh, you know, a number of psukim later in Pasuk Tet Zion, it says, when Moshe inquired about the goat of the sin offering and found that it had been burned up, he was angry with Elazar and Itamar, Aaron's remaining sons, and asked, why didn't you eat the sin offering in the sanctuary area? It is most holy. It was given to you to take away the guilt of the community by making atonement for them before the Lord. Since it blo its blood was not taken into the holy place, you should have eaten the goat in the sanctuary area, as I commanded. Moshe seems to be upset that they didn't eat the meat from the korban, and Aaron re responds to him, Today they sacrificed their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. But such things as this have happened to me. Would the Lord have been pleased if I had eaten the sin offering today? When Moses heard this, he approved. And as Rabbi Sachs points out on these psukim, he kind of says, we don't exactly know what Aaron was getting at with these words, but one possible interpretation is he's kind of saying to Moshe, 
I know that the Kohen Gadol, it's forbidden to mourn just like an ordinary individual. That's the law and I accept it. You told me I shouldn't. But if I had acted like nothing out of the ordinary had happened, as if my sons had not died, wouldn't this seem to B'nai Israel and to the people watching as if I was heartless, as if life and death meant nothing, as if you know the service of God meant giving up on myself as a human? And there's a certain power there that Moshe seems to be saying, hey, you got to go on, you got to move on and, and, and proceed in the way the law commands. And yet Aaron is saying, wait, I, I understand there are certain things we can and can't do, but I don't think this is what God would have wanted from me. I don't think God wanted me to come off as heartless and, and you know, uncaring and, and totally dispassionate. And, and Moshe seems to accept that. And there seems to be this push and pull between them. In some ways, these represent two different characteristics of the Jewish people throughout history, according to Rabbi Sachs. Um, Moshe representing hope on the one hand, and Aaron representing humanity on the other. And we have both. We have the courage of an Aaron who has the strength to grieve and not accept you know, easy consolation, but also the courage of Moshe who has the strength to keep going in spite of the grief. And throughout our history, we've had, you know, plenty of suffering. We've just talked throughout, you know, the Pesach holiday about our experiences as, as uh, in, in Mitzrayim and, and every generation where we've had our, our fair share of suffering. Um, yet like our own, the Jewish people, we didn't lose our humanity. While we might have suffered, we didn't allow this sense of grief to disappear. We, we kept in touch with our emotions and, and were never desensitized. Um, but we also had this capacity to continue and carry on and, and to continue to hope like Moshe and not lose faith in God. It's this back and forth between the, the two sides of ourselves. The, as Rabbi Sachs says, the human emotion on the one hand and faith in God and the covenant and the, and the future on the other. Ultimately, this balance and this tension between the two is really what keeps us going. Um, as a people, uh, our faith allows us to mourn in the appropriate ways and, and embrace the grief, but also, despite everything, it allows us to carry on. And ultimately, when we consider the range of possibilities described by the Mefarshim, we have a number of valid responses, and they each capture a different sense of what it means to be human. All of these are responses that at various points in our lives we might actually do depending on the moment or the particulars of the tragedy or our current mental state, our relation, our feelings about our relationship to God at that moment. We are human. We're constantly in flux. And within Aaron himself in this moment in the Torah, we see all these various states of responses to tragedy and suffering throughout Jewish history. This balancing of faith versus our natural human instincts. It's not easy, especially when we're talking about dealing with the unimaginable, as, as it was put in Hamilton. And it's in those moments where we may be quiet or we may be momentarily loud. We may struggle to hold in our emotions. We may go into complete shock or we may cry out with unending tears and mourning. These are all part of what it means to be a Jew in an ever-changing relationship with God and they're all part of what it means 
to balance the sense of our faith and uh, our grief. And this moment, I think, really sticks out to me. This man, Aaron, who had been so defined by his speech and by being the spokesperson, suddenly struck silent. But that silence, as described by the Torah and as interpreted by the Mepharshim, carries so much, a range of possibilities that really captures what it means to be human and the ways that we respond at any given moment. And that's why that moment to me is such a powerful, powerful lesson for all of us today. I hope really enjoyed learning with you today and I hope you have a great rest of your week. Shavua Tov. Thank you. Thank you again for downloading this podcast, a production of the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Spotify or by visiting elmod.pardes.org for the latest episode of Pardes from Jerusalem. Tune in next week as Rav Mike Foyer discusses Parashat Tazria Metzora. Thanks for listening.